0: Matthew chapter 15, if you'll turn there. We have gone as far as chapter 15. <clears throat> We're halfway through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. It's an incredible study. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. This is a good time for you to check those ringers on your phones. As more people are coming back, I notice there's more rings and dings that are going off. and We've kind of, kind of been out of that routine, so if you can check that. Uh, that would be a blessing so we can be free from distractions and just be f- hearing the word of God. And, and the Lord has so much that he wants to speak to us today. Pray for my voice. First service, right at the end, it just shut down, just went out. And uh, I've never had that happen like that before. And, and uh, so I got through second service, and I felt like, you know, Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 there in the temple when he lost his voice. But um, I think it's the dry weather and everything, and, and uh, so... Uh, if if I lose my voice, I'm going to keep going, okay? You may not be able to hear me, but <laughs> but I'm going to keep going and with the Lord's strength. And so Matthew chapter 15, you should be there. And we do read, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And, and Father, once again, coming to you, that we ask that you would just teach us and you administer minister to us your word. God, breathe, put to the page. And there is something here for us. And Lord, I pray that we would just uh, rejoice in the freedom that we have in you and how we can just respond to you in love and devotion, in your grace. We don't have to be in bondage to legalism. So Lord, touch the heart of everyone that's here. Help my voice to hold out. We commit everything to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So you recall if you've been with us in our study going through Matthew that in the previous chapter that we looked at the story of Jesus who would feed the 5,000 with just a couple of fish and loaves of bread. And we discussed how John's gospel declares that the people at that time wanted to take him by force. They wanted to crown him as king at that time. He would dismiss the crowds. And so word had gone all throughout the land, even beyond Israel, of the working and the miracles of Jesus. He's healing people of every kind of sickness and disease. The deaf are hearing. The the lame are walking. The demoniacs are being freed. Matter of fact, chapter 14 ends with he is touching many that are coming to him all are made well interesting that as they came to him the last verse of the chapter tells us that they touched the hem of his garment and as many as touched it were made perfectly well complete healing that was brought to them and keep in mind that as we go through this uh time of uh, jesus ministry that the Gospels tell us that the feeding of the 5,000, it was near Passover. So the people are traveling up to Jerusalem to the feast, and, and no doubt they're talking about all the miracles that are taking place there in the Galilee region. You see, Jerusalem would be a city of about 100,000 people. And during the feast, particularly Passover, people are coming not only from all over Israel, but they're coming from all over the known empire, from Northern Africa, from Asia Minor, even from from rome from from europe and, and it was a dream for people to go to the passover at least once in their lives but as they came into jerusalem the city would swell from about a hundred thousand people to two million people and not only was the temple busy but people are camping all out side in the hillsides of jerusalem and also the residents they would open up their homes it was an exciting time the marketplaces we're busy, it was a great time of celebration. It was a wonderful opportunity to talk to people in different parts of the world because that's how they got their news. They got their news from, hey, what's going on up in the Galilee? What's going on there in Proconsular Asia? What's going on in Northern Africa? They didn't have cable network news you know, 24-7 like we do today or social media or any of those things. So words getting out in Jerusalem of the incredible miracles that Jesus is doing there in the Galilee region. And so the religious leaders from Jerusalem are going to go up to Galilee to to check them out. Also keep in mind that the Pharisees and the scribes have already begun to mount their opposition against the ministry of Jesus. Remember that he claimed to be able to forgive sin in chapter 9 as that man that was stricken with palsy was healed. He called a tax collector to follow after him. That is Matthew himself. And the religious leaders, especially them, they hated the tax collectors. And there he is, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus at that time would define his, his mission. I didn't come to, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to his disciples that you're breaking the Sabbath you know, law by plucking the heads of grain there on the Sabbath as they're going through the fields. The law had said that they could do that, but they said to Pharisees, you can't do it on the Sabbath day. They plucked the heads of grain. They rub it in their hands. The chaff would separate from the grain. They just kind of blow it, and the chaff would blow away, and they'd eat the grain. That's unlawful. You can't do that. And then that confrontation over the Sabbath would intensify as Jesus would then heal that man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day there in the synagogue. And we read that in the end of chapter 12 that the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, that they plotted how they might destroy him. And they are not going to stop until they hand them over to Pontius Pilate. And so the religious leaders, they come from Jerusalem. They're trying to find fault with Jesus. They, no doubt, are watching him and his disciples very, very closely. And hey, we notice that your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders. They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, as we read this, you know we know that it's important to wash our hands before we eat. We have to tell particularly our small kids to do that. We had raising four children, wash your hands, wash your hands before you eat. And over the last year, we've been told over and over again, it's important for us to wash our hands, right? Over and over every single day, wash your hands, wash your hands. So we wash our hands. And I remember when this whole pandemic broke out, That they said, make sure you don't touch your face, right? And I didn't realize how many times I touched my face, probably 200 times a day. It's like, oh, I can't touch my face. And and so here as we read this, this is more than just a, a case of hygiene or the subject of hygiene or having good hygiene. Mark's gospel gives us a little bit more insight in chapter 7 of his gospel as they came and and they're watching the disciples uh, eat bread with, you know, and they determined they're defiled. Uh, They're doing it because of unwashed hands and they found fault. And then the Pharisees would say to Jesus and the disciples, That we Pharisees and all the Jews, we don't eat unless we wash our hands in a special way. Holding to the traditions of the elders. And so as you read that, you think, really, you guys and all the Jews, you do this ceremonial washing before you eat. Do you really think that that took place in the feeding of the 5,000? That all those people washed their hands according to the traditions of the elders? Jesus has been ministering as he's moved with compassion. He's healing the people that are sick. He's feeding them. He's speaking the kingdom parables. He's teaching the love of the Father. And these guys come up from Jerusalem, and they have their long robes on, and their phylacteries on their heads and on their forearms, and their noses in the air, and they say, "'Why don't you keep our traditions?' We and everybody else don't eat unless we wash our hands in a very special way to be considered clean, ceremonially clean. That's our tradition. And I know that perhaps some of you, and maybe a lot of you, that you've had that happen to you. It may not be over the issue of washing your hands according to the traditions of the elders, But perhaps that as you're enjoying the Lord, that as you're just uh, growing in his love, uh, you are filled, uh, you know, with his peace and, and living in his grace, marveling at his goodness. And you're just full of joy. And as you're growing in your love for him and your devotion to him, then all of a sudden somebody comes along and begins to put this bondage of legalism on you. Why don't you do what I do? Why don't you do what we do? We all do this. Why don't you observe this day or not observe this day? Why don't you do this ritual? Why do you dress this way? Why do you sing these songs, you know, or follow this practice? And it really has nothing to do with your relationship with Christ. In Acts chapter 15, it was the Jerusalem council. And it was after Paul had finished his first missionary journey. We read about that in the book of Acts. And as you go into chapters 13, 14, and Paul would go and establish those churches of Galatia. And, and as he's going to the Gentiles... He would go back then to Antioch. Well, the Judaizers would follow Paul in his ministry. They went into the churches of Galatia when they were established, and they began to say to those Gentile Christians, hey, that's all fine and dandy what Paul is saying, that you are saved by faith alone, but we are here to tell you the truth, that there's more to it than that. You have to be circumcised. And you are to keep the law of Moses. And Paul, his first epistle that's recorded for us in the New Testament is the book of Galatians. And it's interesting. As he wrote to the churches, he usually would start out with a warm greeting and commending them. But here we see in the book of Galatians, immediately he goes right to, I marvel that you guys are turning away from the gospel to another, which is not the gospel, And he begins to address them, those who are taken away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he addresses the Judaizers that came along and said that you have to be circumcised in order to consider yourself to be justified or keep the law of Moses. And you see, Paul said, what has begun in the spirit, are you going to try to perfect in the flesh? And he reiterates once again that we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by the letter of the law. And he also would go on to say, because it was more than just circumcision, you see that from Acts chapter 15, and in the book of Galatians, he says, you guys observe days, you observe months, you observe festivals and all of this. He said, I'm concerned for you, that you're returning to the weak and beggarly things. And as we consider that, here comes Paul and here comes Barnabas and the guys from Antioch. They come up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James and John and the guys there. And they're deciding, what are we going to tell these Gentile believers? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? And it was a sect of the Pharisees that were there at that Jerusalem council. You see, some of the Pharisees got saved after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Interesting. They were still bound up in legalism. There's no record of the Sadducees getting saved, but the Pharisees, some of them did. And we know that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But as they're there, the Pharisees were saying, yes, we have to tell these Gentile believers that they have to be circumcised and they have to keep the law of Moses. So Peter stood up. And Peter, as he begins to address them... He, he would say to them in verse 10 of the chapter that why do you test God by putting a yoke on the necks of the disciples which neither we or our fathers were able to bear? What yoke? The yoke of legalism. And it is a very heavy yoke. And remember that it was Jesus that said earlier, as he said, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and take my yoke upon you For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, there's nothing wrong with traditions in and of themselves. We have traditions here at Calvary Chapel. We traditionally meet on the first day of the week. We've been doing that for years on Sunday. And we also meet on other days as well. We have a tradition where we had for years that we took communion on the first Sunday of the month. We've gotten away from that with COVID. We had communion right before Christmas. And we're going to start that back up here in a couple of weeks, having communion on the first Sunday of the month. And that's just a tradition that we have. So there's nothing wrong with traditions in and of themselves. And somebody you might ask by asking me, well, didn't Paul tell the church at Thessalonica to keep the traditions? And he did. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Brethren, stand fast and keep the traditions which you were taught. But in context, as you look at that, he's speaking of the truth of God's word that was brought to them, the sound doctrine that was brought to them, the gospel message. And this is how you and I can stand fast by holding firm to the word of God in our lives. It was Paul, as he was writing to the church of Colossae in chapter 2, he would warn them specifically, don't be cheated by the traditions of men. So this is what Jesus will address with these guys. These are traditions of men, and you have made the word of God of no effect, and we are to never hold traditions above the word of God. They were declaring that Jesus and his disciples that they were defiled because they didn't keep the washing rituals of the Pharisees. They were not washing their hands in a very specific way, in the way that they're supposed to, and that is our tradition, the traditions of the elders say that before you eat bread, you're to take one and a half eggshells of water and pour it on your hands, and then you would press them together and rub your hands together uh, like you're praying, and then you would flip your hands over and have your palms your fingers downward and then you pour another eggshell and a half on the back of your hands and you would put your right fist in your left hand and rub it and then your left fist in your right hand and you would rub it for a certain amount of time and they had this whole procedure and they are upset because your disciples don't do that procedure they are unclean and because you're unclean that you've opened yourself up to demons that can now enter into you through the food that you eat. You are defiled. They had all kinds of traditions concerning washing before they ate, washing their clothes, how they were to wash their pots and pans. I mean, they were really into this washing thing. And how these traditions came about was in the years previous to Jesus' coming, scribes not only copied the law but they interpret the law and they made application of the law and they began to really define what it means to be ceremonially clean so they had all kinds of writings on that and they did the same thing when it came to the subject of keeping of the Sabbath they came up with all these rules and regulations and they were called the traditions of the elders And the Pharisees came into existence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, keep in mind, between Malachi and the Gospels, there is a time span of 400 years. Those are called the silent years. And during that time, there's a number of things that took place, particularly, you know, that's filled in for us. As you study the book of Daniel, that's when Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem and desecrated the temple, and and during that time, about 200 years before Jesus came, and and then they they drove out Antiochus historically, and that's where Hanukkah came when they, they cleansed the temple and relit the menorah. It's all a lesson, very fascinating, but during that time as well, the Pharisees came into existence. And Pharisee means the separate at once. And we are going to separate ourselves to keep the most minute details of the law, what the scribes had interpreted that we are to do. Now, they started out with good intentions, but what happened over time is they came up with all these rules, all these regulations, all these interpretations to where their traditions ended up being more important than the law itself, it ended up being more important than the Word of God, more important than their relationship with the Lord. And so this gives us some understanding why these religious traditionalists were irritated with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus responds to them. Let's read it, verse 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Verse 5. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Mark records it's Corbin. That's what Corbin means, dedicated to God. And then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Now, our Lord, he knows all about the, the scribes and the Pharisees and their traditions. It wasn't like Jesus was thinking, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know about the washing rituals. I'll try to learn it. He knew what they were about. So Jesus, in his response here, you might be thinking, okay, the Pharisees are talking about washing before they ate bread. Now Jesus responds by saying, you don't honor father and mother. And you might be thinking, where's the connection? What is this all about? When it comes to traditions that become vain and hurtful, here's the key, take note. Verse 4, for God commanded. That is, this is what God's Word says. Verse 5, but you say. And then verse 6, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. I love what the Lord does here. It helps me. He quotes from God's Word, the Scriptures, verse 4, specifically from Exodus chapter 21, verse 17. This is what God's Word says. Then, verse 5, this is what you say. This is what you say according to your traditions, and it's contrary to the Word of God. And then, verse 6, because of that, you've made the Word of God of no effect. The Word of God should have an effect on our lives. And it has no effect because of your traditions that you've placed over the Word of God. And I know that you know this, but the Word of God is our final authority and truth, not traditions, AND JESUS WAS SAYING THAT YOU GUYS ACTUALLY ARE REJECTING THE COMMANDMENT OF GOD. THAT IS, IN KEEPING OF YOUR OWN TRADITIONS. JESUS QUOTING HERE FROM THE BOOK OF EXODUS, YOU'RE TO HONOR YOUR FATHER AND YOUR MOTHER. YOU HAVE A MORAL OBLIGATION TO HONOR MOM AND DAD. BUT WHAT HAPPENS IS, YOU PHARISEES, YOU ARE SAYING, AS YOUR PARENTS they ARE ELDERLY, THEY NEED HELP. THEY NEED HELP practically they need help financially see this was before there was social security There was before medicare this was before retirement funds 401ks whatever it might be and family it was very important that they take care of their elderly parents just as it is for us even today of course it is but what they were doing and playing their religious games As they were going around and saying Corbin, the tradition of the elders stated this, that if you had something in your house that was of value, you could say it's Corbin, it's dedicated to God. And then that thing was dedicated to the Lord, so their parents would come and say to them, we need help. Can we have that piece of bread that you have? We're hungry. And sorry, can't do that. It's been Corbin. I can't give it to you. Like to help you out, Mom and Dad, but I've dedicated it to God. I can't rob God and give it to you. So the Pharisees would go throughout their house, and they would say, Corbin this, and Corbin that, and Corbin everything. And they would dedicate everything. So if anyone came, they had a need, they would say, well, would love to help you out, but I can't. I've dedicated everything to God. And they saw it as being very spiritual. But they would wipe out any obligation that they had to their parents or to anyone. By saying, everything that I have has been dedicated to God. It belongs to Him. You can't have it. I can't help you out. And Jesus said, you make the word of God a no effect. Through your traditions, you're hypocrites. You won't even help out mom and dad. You won't help others. And how much different these Pharisees compared to that boy. Who gave of his loaves and his fish, and he gave it to Jesus freely. And Jesus broke the bread and blessed it, and he gave it out to where 5,000 were fed. And how I pray for you and for me that the things that we do have, that we dedicated to the Lord, because every good gift comes from above, but we would be good stewards of the Lord, and those things would be used for his glory, for his purposes, to bless and help others. And we don't want to let traditions get in the way of doing what the Lord has called us to do. But we would be concerned with what the scriptures have to say and that we would stay and stand on the word of God. And if people criticize you or me for something that, that we are doing or not doing. And of course, we got this whole issue of liberty and not stumbling the, the weaker brother or whatever. That's a study for another time. But if they're coming along and saying, you're not really a Christian and you're not really saved and you're not really righteous before God or have the approval of God or the love of God, then you can say to them as they say, you have to do this thing or you know follow this rule or here's the regulations or here's the traditions and all of this you can say to them show me chapter and verse and i will do that and i will do it and unless you can show it to me in god's word what you're finding fault with then your opinions and your traditions really don't matter and again traditions are not bad or good in and of themselves but they're worth depends solely upon how it stacks up and matches up with the word of God. And what Jesus is saying to these guys is your focus is all wrong. You should be concerned about the commandments of God, not the traditions of men. Externally, the tradition might make you guys look like you're right with God, but inwardly, you are far from God. You are hypocrites. You made the word of God of no effect. So he tells them that, verse 7, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying "But these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So once again, Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. With your lips you worship me and honor me, but your hearts are far from me. And Jesus quotes here in verses 8 and 9 from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. You guys don't understand. With your religiousness and your traditions that you keep and try to put on everyone else, it has nothing to do with God's desire for you. It's not God's commandment. It's the commandment of men that you come up with. It's your doctrine. It's not God's doctrine or desire. Your hearts are far from God in reality. And have you noticed as we've gone through Matthew's gospel that Jesus was always dealing with the heart, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he would say to the disciples that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who's more righteous than a scribe and a Pharisee? I'm sure that they were floored when they heard that. What do you mean? And Jesus went on to explain that you can say that you have murdered, but if you hate a brother in your heart without a cause, then you're guilty of murder. You can say that you haven't committed adultery, but if you lust up for another, you're guilty of adultery. It's a heart issue. Your righteousness must exceed their righteousness focused on the external and the external religiousness. And so Jesus talking to them about that, now he called the multitude to himself in verse 10 and said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Listen, everyone, he says. This is important. Understand this. Get it down. And when it comes to ceremonially being cleansed in regards to food, it's not what goes into you that defiles and makes you unclean. It's what comes out because it will reveal your heart. And that's a very simple truth to understand. But it's a very important truth to understand. These Pharisees were wrong in thinking that their washings kept them spiritually clean. We continue in verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. So the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Um, Did you know that you offended these Religious, important Pharisees. And I don't think Jesus was very concerned about that, was he? Matter of fact, he had a harsh word to give to them. That they are blind guides that lead the blind into a pit, and they have not been planted by God. And thus they will be uprooted. That's a very serious statement that Jesus made. You're concerned that I offended them? They're hypocrites. They're blind spiritually, and they lead others into a spiritual pit and my father hasn't planted them, and they will be uprooted. And in verse 15, Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Peter always makes me feel better because he says, Can you explain this parable? It's not a parable that he's speaking. Jesus says, Don't you understand? Because I know I don't always get it. But the Lord is patient, and the Lord's still growing me, He's working in all of us. And he wants these guys to understand. And verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Uh, Mark's less list is a little bit longer in his account. But these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Your focus and concern on what you can or cannot eat or washing a certain way, understand this. It's not what food you take in physically that defiles you, but one, what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth shows what's in your heart. What comes out of your mouth shows the abundance of the heart. Out of the heart is the issues of life, the Bible says. Paul would write in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There are those who will come to us. Over the years, there have been those who have come and said, why do you at Calvary Chapel, why do you worship on Sunday? You are to keep the Sabbath. You're to keep uh, the Sabbath day, and you're to worship on Saturday. And my answer is, if that's your conviction, then worship on Saturday. But I know what the Word of God says to me. And even in that Jerusalem council, they said, this is what we're going to tell the Gentile believers. You abstain from immorality because they were coming out of that. Uh, Don't eat meat offered to idols, things strangled. If you do this, then you're doing well. Said nothing about keeping the Sabbath law. We know that Paul also write in Colossians chapter 2, let no one cheat you in traditions of men, but let no one judge you concerning Sabbaths, new moons, festivals, which are just the, the substance of of the reality, Jesus Christ. They're a shadow of things. Jesus is our Sabbath fulfillment. He's our Sabbath rest. It all speaks of the festivals, uh, the, the Sabbaths. It speaks of Jesus. It points to Jesus, all fulfilled by Jesus. Paul says, you have the reality, Jesus Christ, not the shadow of things to come. He's already come. And it is also Paul that would write in the book of Romans that one man esteems one day above another, one man esteems every day alike. You be convinced in your own mind. If you want to keep the Sabbath, do. But don't tell me that I'm taking the mark of the beast or I'm not saved because we worship in the first day of the week. And people will say, well, it was a conspiracy when, you know, Constantine, and when he declared the... Christianity to be the state religion of Rome in 313 A.D. or whatever the case may be, and that's when it changed and all this, you can find evidence that the Christians met on the first day of the week in the Scriptures, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, that Paul was in Troas, his disciples met on the first day of the week. He gave a Bible study. He would tell the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 16, he's going to take an offering there to Jerusalem to help them. And as he goes to Jerusalem to take this, this offering to help them that are struggling down there, he said to the Corinthian church that, that gather your collection on the first day of the week. Why? That's when they had church. Matter of fact, you can go to Acts chapter 2, and it says that in the beginning that they went from house to house daily, breaking bread and praising God, and the Lord added to the church daily that's those who were being saved they were meeting daily I happen to be one that I believe I esteem every day like any day is a day for us to gather together with the Lord and to worship him and to, to study his word and to enjoy him and to have somebody come along and they've done this over the years you're really not Christians because you have church on Sundays like really I think that if it was that important that we're not Christians and we're not saved because we don't have church on Saturday, if you want to do that, do that. That's your conviction. But you better back it up with the Word of God. And to say that you're going to take the mark of the beast and all this other nonsense, and we can meet on Monday, we can meet on Wednesday, we can meet on Sundays. If we keep growing, we're going to have to meet on Saturday. We're going to have to have some services, and that's okay with me. Whatever the Lord has for us. But all of a sudden, you know, and it usually happens, you know, we just had a great morning and just a wonderful time in the Lord, and somebody comes up and says, why do you have church on Sunday? Why don't you do it on Saturday? Why don't you keep the Sabbath? And they call me all the time. and it's like, Or, you know, though, even the dietary laws. Why don't you keep the dietary laws? And it's like, really, don't mess with my sausage egg McMuffin that I like to have, you know, every once in a while. Please. Listen. But seriously, you can be enjoying the Lord, and all of a sudden somebody says, You don't dress this way, or you don't hold these traditions, or these things, and it really has nothing to do with your relationship with the Lord. And I just want to leave you with this: that the Lord is not looking for us, and He doesn't care about phony religious games, He cares about your heart. And a heart that cries out, Abba, Father, Papa. Because we have the spirit of adoption. And a heart that says, Lord, search my heart. And if there's anything that's wrong there, then Lord, bring that conviction to me to draw me to you that this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. It's not, I'll live any way that I want, I'll do what I want, and I say what I want. And as you grow in the Lord, the Lord may bring some convictions to you. And He'll begin to take care of the external if He convicts you of something. But it's walking with Him and enjoying Him and loving Him. And what has begun in the Spirit, are you going to try to perfect in the flesh? You have his approval. You have his love. Grow in that love. And walk in the Spirit. And it's a wonderful venture of faith as you do that. And I think sometimes I talk to Christians that they're all, somebody put this bondage of legalism on it or rules or regulations. I don't have God's approval. Listen, he loves you so much. So enjoy him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. Go to Him. Allow Him to speak to you. Know His Word. Walk in His ways. And as you do, you're going to have great joy in your heart. And you're going to see it's a wonderful, wonderful life that you have in the Lord. We're free from all that stuff. And we're free to live for Him. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank You. We thank You so much that the freedom that we have in Christ. And Lord, we want to please you with our lives. We want to walk in your ways. it's, It's not this sloppy agape. But Lord, we want to enjoy you, and we're free to live for you, to live in your grace and in your love. So I just want to pray if there's anyone here that they've just been bound up in legalism and being told that they're not really a Christian or they have God's love because they don't do this or that or observe this day or whatever the case may be, that you would free them from that. And, Lord, there are commandments that you give to us that we are to obey. And we're thankful that we have forgiveness when we, Lord, transgress or miss the mark. But, Lord, we also have freedom in you to just worship you on any day the lord that our hearts out of the heart we have the issues of life and now the heart shows the abundance of what comes out of with our mouths and so lord may we have a heart for you and a love for you just walking with you and father i thank you that we can be reminded of that and lord i also i just pray that as we gather here in the sanctuary and those out in the coffee shop and those listening online and on the radio later, that if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, listen, he's not looking for you to be religious. Religion never saved anybody. He wants to have real relationship with you. He desires for you to come to him and yoke yourself with him and learn of him to be forgiven of sin because he is your salvation. He's everything that you need. And he went to that cross and as he hung on that cross through his suffering and through the pain, he would say, it is finished. He did the work and he paid the price. As he was put into that tomb, he rose again after three days and he's alive. He conquered sin and death. No one else did that for you. And is coming to him in faith. That you will be declared righteous. Surrendering your heart to him. and Calling out to him. And if you've never done that, today is the day of salvation because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And he says, come. Today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place. If you're not right with God, Come to Him. Call out to Him. And you can pray right where you are. That Jesus, I come, and I come humbly to you and confess that I am a sinner. I know I am. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again and you're life. Speak into my heart. Be my personal Lord and Savior and sit upon the throne of my life. I want to walk with you and know you And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God in this new beginning in your love for me. And I want to just look to you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And for all of us, may we leave this place rejoicing in you. And Lord, just living for you. Enjoying you. And Lord, knowing that we are the most blessed people because we have this spirit of adoption, not of fear where we can cry out, Abba, Father, Papa. Thank you for this morning. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?